And welcome, everyone, to the Between Two Wheels podcast, episode 191. Hey, the Tour de France is in full swing. We've got four stages down, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the four rain slick roads. They mark stage one. Julian, he ala Philippe's the field in a hair raising stage two. The sprinters, they get another day of glory. Caleb Ewan, he swerves and slashes away to an impressive victory. Stage four is a GC day, eh, or is it? We will react to it now. Some things that make you go from the ride of the week and what is in store for the tour this week. It's September 1, everybody, 2020, and this is the Between Two Wheels podcast, episode 191, um, September 1, right? September 1. But yeah, we're talking about the tour. Four stages in, great stuff. We're doing a little live show. You may not join us now live, but just so you know, keep in mind when the tour's done, tomorrow it's not going to happen, but when the tour's done, uh, there's a good chance that I am going to try to go and do a live show, uh, do a reaction right afterwards, just a, a good way to get things done and over. So look, let's talk about um, some things that happened. We'll just recap. First recap, uh, stages one through three, happened around Nice. Um, and we, we did a preview show with Jonathan Vodder, I'm <laughs> Jonathan Vodders, right? Uh, Jonathan Scriven uh, talking about the route. And then we did a, a, a preview of all the riders with uh, Mike Sayers. I thought it was uh, all of them really good info. So I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to cut some of those things up, give some um, little bits of parts of those things. So you can um, just like a recap. Jonathan Vodder, uh, Scriven, Jesus, uh, Scriven as an example for today's um, gives a little breakdown of the, the climb to Merlet. So we'll talk about that. Uh, maybe we'll just start out with, look, the first day, comes out there and stage one, it's, uh, there's a little bit of a break, but then there is a massive amount of crashes that took place. And we'll just talk about some of the people that went down in the first uh, stage. Uh, Julian Alaphilippe went down, uh, Sivakov wrecked. Uh, now Alaphilippe, it was interesting, you know, there's always talk about disc breaks and stuff. He goes down or he gets a flat, I think he crashed as well. And then uh, they're trying to use the, the hammer, the, the gun to undo it because they don't have quick releases on those front wheels, uh, rear wheels, and they have through, um, Anyway, so it's Alan, and, and he couldn't get it off. You got to do a bike change. It's just a whole new complication, taking an extra set of bikes for everybody rather than just a few extra wheels. Uh, Sivakov goes down for Ineos. He ends up uh, getting back to the field. Right as he gets back to the field, he goes down on the other side. John Degenkolb of uh, Lotto went down. Phil Jaber went down. He broke his kneecap. Both those guys out of the tour. Uh, Vals, I think he's on Astana. He broke his femur. Uh, Thibaut Pinot went down. Superman Lopez went down. That was a, a interesting to watch him flying into the, the road sign. Uh, George Bennett crashed pretty hard. Um, St uh, Danny Martinez went down. Pogacar went down. Tom Dumoulin went down. Uh, these are all, I think those are on stage two. But the point is, there's some wrecks, some people out right away. And it's always interesting to see that. This reminded me of uh, 2010 when they started in Belgium. And that one, there was some rain there. They're going up and down these little coals. And uh, I think... Um, Frenchman was off the front uh, in the in, in, in a breakaway, and uh, Councilor came out and kind of quelled everybody and said, "Hey, we're going to slow down." Kind of self neutralization. That's what happened this time as well. The rain slicked roads, caused a lot of havoc. There's a lot of talk about what um, went down, why that's the case. There, maybe olive oil on the roads, maybe uh, soap from a caravan that's following <laughs> the race. Who knows? Uh, the point is. Uh, they ended up slowing things down. It's probably a really good thing because um, Tony Martin comes to the front. He stretches his arms out wide. He says, hey, we're just going to neutralize this over the top of this climb. People are just falling right and left on straight roads. 
Uh, Astanis said, you know, F you, we're, we're riding ahead anyway. And they go down the descent, just right in front of the group, kind of going ahead. And Lopez starts to swerve out. He catches himself in a miraculous uh, save. Uh, but then as the road veer, veers left, he can't stop and he's going straight. And he goes right into the like a road sign or mailbox, um, goes, you know, 30 to zero in, in zero seconds. I mean, it was it was a bang. He hit that. Um, kind of, I think he's okay. I mean, we'll see on today's stage that he's actually up there in the finish. Uh, but it's kind of humorous to watch when, you know, everyone's saying, slow down. They're saying, come on. And then they go and, and wreck themselves. Uh, anyway, come down to the finish. The teams decided to queue up for the sprint. And I think they, they were going to take time for the GC riders right at 3K anyway. Uh, whether there was a wreck or not, uh, but right at the three K, I mean, right at the three K mark, riders go down, um, and Thibaut Pinot gets caught up in one of those things. He's not looking too happy about it. Uh, probably just more so that he went down. Um, but in the end, Alexander Kristoff gets the win. The Norwegian for UAE. He's a uh, Mike Sayers and mentioned him in our previous show that he didn't think he was going to be able to do much of anything. However, um, there he goes. And, you know, he's a strong guy in wet weather and um, just over Mads Pedersen and a few others. Uh, pretty good. Uh, you didn't see Caleb Ewing try to really get in the mix. Sam Bennett had a little more tougher time. And Sagan, not really there, uh, much of a threat either. So you're going to go into stage two and you're like, oh, well, look. They're going nice to nice the first day. They did 156 kilometers. Nice to nice the second day, uh, 187 kilometers with two trips over the Coldez, uh, which we had talked about as well. Um, so you're expecting, well, hopefully there's no rain. Well, it was a gorgeous day, and it was, it was really neat to see uh, the, the views out there in the gorgeous area and riding out there in uh, Nice itself. Um, what you had, an interesting thing, though, so you had, there's no way Christoph is going to make it to the finish. You had Haguita of EF Education first. You had Pogacar of UAE. They are both really close. I mean, uh, they're the, they had finished, I think, 16th, 17th, uh, the stage before in the sprint. So that you'd be able to, you know, maybe these guys could take the the yellow jersey. Uh, everyone was saying though that it was going to be an Alaphilippe type day. First time over the Coldez, it's uh, I think uh, Nilsson Palace takes a little bit of a push and a little bit of attack up there. Uh, second time up, the teams are, or maybe it was the second time up there. I'm not sure when when he took his. Uh, I think it may have been the first time. Uh, point is, it was kind of cool to see him off the front and doing some good work. He got good uh, commentary post to him on different podcasts and such. So that was nice to see. Um, point is, uh, second time up, the, the field's thinning out a little bit. Uh, Danny Martinez had fallen on the first time uh, down the, the descent. Uh, earlier in the day, uh, Pogacar had, had flatted. He got his team Pollock, uh, had uh, Jan Pollock and had um, got, got, saved him, got him back up there. But this time Danny Martinez had a hard fall for EF education first on the descent. Uh, he had Hugh Carthy pacing him back up. He gets back to the group just as they're starting to hit the climb again. Things are going off. Uh, I think that's when, you know, all the S is hitting the fan. Uh, next thing you know, uh, Jumbo Visma rider Tom Dumoulin gets taken out by Kwiatkowski, who comes across his wheel. Tom wasn't really paying attention and crashed him. Uh, he got up real quick, but Wout had to use him. So now you're starting to see a Jumbo team kind of getting uh, a little bit more decimated, uh, isolating Roglic. Uh, and as it was, um, Julian Alaphilippe has a huge attack. It looked like to me, first of all, Nicholas Roach was with him, but it wasn't. It was a Hirsch, it was a U23 world champion. And then Adam Yates uh, did an amazing ride to catch back up. Those guys staying, up, staying away. 
uh, do a little cat and mouse right to the finish. And um, as you expect, Julian Alaphilippe takes the win fairly narrowly over Hirsch with Adam Yates coming in uh, distant third. And then the field comes crashing through. Well, not crashing, but they come flying through with Van Avermaet taking the field sprint over Higuita. Uh, really good day. So Julian Alaphilippe breaks down in tears. His dad had just recently passed away. And, you know, once again, he's a Frenchman. Uh, he wins a stage. He gets the yellow jersey. It's in Nice. It's just a, a wonderful situation. France has been on lockdown. Uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit, what this may mean to the Tour de France, having a, Tour de, uh, a French rider in the lead, uh, especially with the uh, the protocols in place. Um, that was stage two. Uh, pretty awesome to see. Uh, and you, you then, once again, you have uh, uh, Adam Yates kind of looking – See on the potential is he did he fake it a little bit i guess he was a little sick going into the dauphine but he didn't really try and they're saying oh they're not really going for gc <clears throat> but you see the way he rode there he he had no chance of winning the stage yet he rode hard to get a few seconds and um it makes you wonder maybe maybe uh, adam is, is actually looking to ride well overall rather than just going for stage wins and we'll talk about him a little bit on stage uh four as well uh, stage three was Nice to Cisteron, 198 kilometers. Um, wake up, uh, Jonathan Scriven sending me texts saying, hey, the it's gorgeous because it's right where he you lived and rode a bunch. And it was just, it's kind of cool. It was raining, though. And once again, hard rain comes, a little bit of a break off the front. Next thing you know, though, the rain's gone. And he did mention to me in a text, he goes, I didn't mention this, but the minstrel or minstrel winds are pretty nasty. So as it actually played a part, it was interesting too. You, you're watching this and you can see uh, some lightning strikes over there in the distance. But the, the rider, you know, and you, you start to have these flashbacks to what happened on stage one. But um, no, that's not what happened. It wasn't all the big deal. The only thing you did have was a rider... Uh, Perez, who was uh, ended up getting enough points for the King of the Mountain jersey, he got a flat tire over the last KOM, uh, going to catch back on. He's on Kofidis. This says something. He's behind his team car. His team car then has to brake real hard. He smashes into the back of it, breaks his collarbone, not able to finish the day and get the <laughs> the the Pogada jersey that he had just won. That team can't win much of anything. But I think this tour may, uh, may change some things. Um, and we'll see that when we talk about uh, stage four. Anyway, come down to the finish. It's a big headwind, and I'm watching this, and my, my first thing uh, I mentioned over to, to Chris in a text is, um, you're going to get Sam Bennett. Is He's not the fastest sprinter, but he definitely has by far the best lead-out team, most organized, the best guys. They're going to, it's, it's like a no-brainer for him to get a top three, I think, with the way they put him in position. It just depends on what else happens. Um, you got some of these other riders that need a little bit of luck, a little bit of wind shelter or something else. And you saw all of that take place with Caleb Ewing. As a matter of fact, Caleb gets near the front. He's like second wheel with too much uh, like K to go or so close. And he, he ends up saying in his interview that he just um, actually backed off, wanted to drift back. He goes about six places back. Uh, the sprint opens up. I guess it was a big headwind, a little bit of an uphill drag. Peter Sagan takes off fairly early. Bennett comes around him. Next thing you know, you see uh, Caleb Ewing swerving and weaving. He takes a shot on the right-hand side. He goes up the side. He goes around Sagan um, on his right-hand side. Now, if you were to break this down, and we can look at it from an overhead shot, and maybe we'll, we'll try to pull the video here, um, and you look at it from the overhead shot, <clears throat> if he goes left around Sagan, which would have been maybe a little safer, Nizzolo instantly ends up closing the door, and he would not have been able to get around there. As it was, he goes to the right of Sagan, right up against the barrier, okay? 
we worry about those things, um, right up against the barrier. Uh, and then as soon as he comes around Sagan, he, um, Sam Bennett's right, right in front of Sagan, but it's got a little distance. He cuts left in front of Sagan and uh, to the left of Sam Bennett and rides up the middle of the road, uh, throw the bike throw. Well, actually he didn't throw it. He didn't have to. Uh, he ended up getting the wind fairly convincingly. It was quite the uh, slingshot that he had. And I think Bennett had just been in the wind too long. Once again, Bennett gets, uh, I think second there, and our second or third and second, and I believe in Nizolo was third. So um, fairly decent sprint as you would expect. And a lot of people are making um, comments about Caleb Ewan, you know, swerving and, and going all over the place. One, it's impressive how he did that coming from, you know, surfing the wheels and being able to do that. <clears throat> but two, in light of the, uh, uh, the Jakobsen Grunewagen feud, uh, you know, issue that happened, um, do you look at this and you, you start to wonder, I mean, this was much more, uh, breaking off of someone's line than at all what Grunewagen did. Grunewagen pinned someone into a fence. So um, it's much worse, I guess. And it is, you know, as far as the anger. Uh, but look, if he would have, dude, dude, he was flying so fast. I guess it was really, you know, when you're in that situation, you know how fast you're going past someone, you know how you can cut across them. And that's what he, exactly what he did to Sagan, which maybe brings up a point. Sagan, he's in the green jersey. Um, but He's not looking very impressive, uh, to say the least. He's just, he's got some, some strength issues. I don't know, um, but he's he's probably going to win the, the green jersey without winning at all, without at all winning a stage. That's my that's my guess on here because he's not very close. He's top fives and he sprints. He's getting dropped. He was on uh, stage two. He was in the break, and you normally think he wouldn't get dropped out of that, but he did. Uh, Leonard Camno, his teammate, was also a guy that went down too, and I'm sure to see how he is doing. Um, then we go on to stage four. Stage four, Cisteron to Auxerre Merlet, 161 kilometers, um, <clears throat> one sprint, five categorized climb, a three, a four, a three, a three, and a one. The final climb is at about 10.4K, 6% average, finishes elevation at 1821 meters. Uh, Auxerre Merlet, um, famous for a few things, 1971, Luis Ocaña. Uh, ends up winning the stage there, the Tour de France, by over eight minutes. I think I have the actual time here, one stage of the uh, limp. He won by uh, over Lucien Van Imp by 5.52, Eddie Merckx by 8.42. Moved into the GC by 8.43. That was on stage 11. It's just kind of interesting. Um, he set such a hard pace that 61 riders finished outside the time limit <laughs> that day, only leaving 39 in the race. And they weren't doing, uh, I guess they weren't going to be very kind to uh, those guys and give them the whole um, you know, ability to, to come back in. Uh, stage 12, he then lost a minute 56 to Eddie Merckx. This following after the the, the stage up there. Um, so he's down GC by seven. And I'm going over this because it's kind of a seminal moment in a few things here. Uh, so now he's down by 734 to uh, Eddie is Stage 13 was a time trial. Uh, he only lost 11 seconds to Eddie Merckx that day. But stage 14, he DNF'd well in the yellow jersey. I've read uh, the book The Cannibal by uh, Daniel Freeb, and it goes into detail on this stage. What's interesting is Merckx was just really pushing the limit. And, uh, they, they, you know, while Acuna had won pretty decisively up to Merlet on stage 11, um, there was some <clears throat> wondering and some some concern whether he was going to be able to do this, and, and Merckx was not going to be relinquished. Uh, he goes over the top of a climb on stage 14, and he keeps attacking over the top of these climbs and downhill and pushing Ocaña to the point where he wrecks on the downhill. Now, we saw this in the Tour of Lombardia how, uh, and the Giro a few years ago by Nibali, how he does this to some riders, attacking on the downhill, quite the, quite the uh, novel uh, thing to do. So Merckx tacks on the downhill, Ocaña wrecks, and he's in pretty bad shape. But as he's getting up, I think it was Lucian Van Imp is coming around the corner, 
can't control himself, and he broadsides right into uh, Okanya, uh, who then hurts his shoulder, and he uh, withdraws from the tour. What's interesting, and um, Freeb goes into this in his book, talks about Okanya actually dropping out and whether he was actually injured. There's, there's controversy about this, that he was just so morally devastated about trying to keep up on the downhills and wrecking that he just he didn't want to go any further because people were like oh his shoulder was so hurt or his leg and the reality is that they they no one could ever confirm this was actually the case now is that is that true or not i don't know you're gonna withdraw from the tour in the yellow jersey with still a seven so minute lead and i think uh, mercs ends up winning that tour by over eight nine minutes or something like that 1989 tour de france went up the same stage um, uh, for a time trial, an individual time trial, 39 kilometers uh, gap to uh, Orsay Merlet, and won by Stephen Rooks, a Belgium rider, pretty good climber in the day, little long scraggly hair. He and Gert Young Tunisian uh, teammates in that, uh, I think with the PDM team. Uh, what was interesting, I was kind of watching some of the video <clears throat> of the time trial last night, and you see uh, uh, Andy Hampston, he wears, he has time trial bar, uh, triathlon bars. You also see Greg LeMond using triathlon bars. And I was like, oh, I remember Greg talking about um, using them, didn't want to use them early on because he didn't want to give away the game. You know, this newfound secret of aerodynamics uh, to uh, Fignon and some of the other riders. And it's hard to tell in the prologue if Hampston used them, but they definitely use them on, on um, and, and I'm not sure about the team time trial, but there's another stage or so they have a full-on time trial uh greg lamond end, ends up winning that <clears throat> he uses time trial bars uh but so does uh hampston i think hampston used him in the prologue as well so maybe the first one to use them in competition like that was actually team 711 and andy hampston used them uh, all the all the time trials throughout there uh it was a little grainy video couldn't tell if greg was using them on for the actual uh prologue and the team time i'm not the prologue but the team time trial uh, but it was it was an interesting uh, stage going up there. Stephen Rooks wins. Greg LeMond gets fifth on the day, and then you know that's what we're going to have for uh, the tour today and stage four. So let's talk about that a little bit. And before we do, maybe we'll talk. Well, show uh, Jonathan Scriven's video preview of what you actually have here. Stage four. Let's take a listen. Okay, stage four. Again, they stay in Sisteron and they go up to. Um, we start to get into the the first of the sort of ski villages. So th this first ski village, um, which I've been to a few times because my, as I said, my son plays hockey. It's called Orsier, and it is uh, beautiful. And I just want to say the roads are tiny. <laughs> They're okay. just tiny roads. Now it won't matter because I believe if I'm looking at your chart, I think they finish there, so there's not a huge um, descent. And in fact, I believe they go even higher. If I'm looking at my own notes here, to to a place called Orsier Merlet, which is just basically at the top of that ski station. I don't right, think this like is the finishes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is. I don't think this is a stage that's going to sort of separate people. This is where I see, you know, probably somebody who may not win the tour, maybe jumping out and trying to get a stage win, a climb or something like that. It's, it's fairly standard. This is at the foot of the Alps. So if you're, if you're looking at a map of France and as you go North from sort of Nice and Marseille, you get into the Alps, uh, about the time you get to Gap, which is I know where we're going next, and these hills are right at the beginning of that, but it's it's still um, it's still rolling, that's for sure. So we're going actually from Nice on the on the coast there, yep. going uh, a little that's west it. and then straight up, kind of and like you said, back. I think two or three years ago, it's very often there. So this is not the deep deep Alps, but it's right at the foothills, and and there's some there's some good climbing there for sure. <clears throat> All right, and that's what we saw today. So we saw an early break. 
uh, some guys getting up the road. Atish Banuk comes around a corner, uh, kind of does a thing where he decides to go straight instead of left, as we have there. Um, oh, no sound on that one. Sorry, guys. We'll have to uh, replay that again. Um, so, look, Tish Banut goes down, and then they had uh, the, the break gets caught back, and in the last you have uh, 10K. The, the teams all come to the front. And, look, um, Jonathan uh, Scriven had said, we're not going to have much of a um, GC shakeout. Now, I get it. There's not multiple minutes to be had here, but what you're going to see is guys basically disappearing um, and not be able to have much of anything else uh, for uh, left in the front. You're just going to have a, an attrition race, but it is going to be somewhat of a GC race. You're going to get some guys, like we said before, stage four coming into the race. You're going to have some people that are basically not at all um, going to be able to ha stay with the front group. So what you have then is um, 10K, Riders at the front, Alaphilippe, uh, they, they brought the break back. Alaphilippe then has just, a, he's still riding for GC, you can tell, I mean, as much as possible. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit here as we go into uh, kind of the protocols going on. So you have um, Alaphilippe has Asgreen on the front, and then uh, Devonens I think, is still there with him, and they're pushing on. Next thing you know, Pierre Le Roulon, uh does a little tacker on the 5K to go mark, um, and that's when uh, Pollock, uh, uh, UAE team, kind of comes to the front to, to mellow things out. And uh, Jumbo Visma was all assembled at the front. You had Ineos, they had three or four guys. I think uh, Amador, Carapaz, uh, and Bernal, and Kwiatkowski were still there. Uh, you had a ton of guys still for Jumbo, and that's when uh, Wout goes to the front and starts to put it down from around 5K inside the, the 2K mark and starts just shredding people right and left, coming out the back, <clears throat> and there's a, a much more dwindled group. Interesting point at about uh, 1.8, um, you started to have uh, Wout pulls off and Ineos comes right up to the front and they don't, they, they didn't look really organized and ready to push this thing. And immediately from like three or four back, five back, maybe Sep Cuss just comes wheeling through, hits the front and his acceleration. It was so interesting to watch him because he kept having to look, he's just so jumpy and quick on the, on the ride that, um, as he keeps having to look back to make sure that, his accelerations are not going to drop his leader, Ruglitch, who's now on his wheel, uh, but quick enough to to kind of hurt everybody. And as it was, and you would see um, Bernal look like he was on the tip of his saddle, hurting a bit. And uh, let's maybe we can take a look at the actual um, breakdown of the last K here and just give it give a little uh, description as to what's going on. Okay, so there's not going to be any sound with this, but you're in the last uh, kilometer. Sepkas is still just drilling away and uh, got Roglic on his wheel. Uh, you've seen uh, now Bernal's in third. You have uh, Pogacar in fourth, Julian Alaphilippe there in about fifth or so. Uh, Nairo is still hanging on. Tebow's still hanging on. You've got Adam, Sc Adam Yates in there. Guillaume Martin, Nieve or Chavez, I think, is still in there. Now you see Dumoulin just coming off from the bottom. Has to flick his elbow because he's having a tough time holding wheels and he's creating a gap back to several um, riders. I think there's um, some EF riders back there. Danny Martinez, Higuita, Hugh Carthy still there. You got a movie star rider or two in the mix here. And you're able to see 
uh, Martin come up, your Lopez is being able to drift up. So, and then boom, Guillaume Martin, about 300 or 500 meters here, decides to take it out. Now, Sepp Cuss does an amazing job. It's so easy for any, he's like, nope, uh, you've got it. I almost think that Sepp could have done, you know, if it would have been his day to fly, they uh, would have been able to, to have something quite uh, easy for him there. But uh, Guillaume Martin, you never really see this guy attack. I, the only thing I've seen him do any kind of strong riding, like, like off the front was uh, the stage or the, the, the one day race up to Mont Ventoux. Uh, Roglic easily gets on his wheel here. Now he's looking around and of course what you're going to expect this to see is uh, Lopez coming from behind. Um, Roglic does a good Grona wagon move here, putting <laughs> Lopez into the barrier, makes him take the other side and Roglic kicks. Uh, Julian Alaphilippe tries to go and, and you're seeing Bernal kind of drift back. What I think if this road had it and, and, and Roglic easy win, easily win with Pogacar and at the line you got to see at the line it was a bike throw so Julian Alaphilippe did not end up uh, getting third place there were 10 six and four bonus seconds on the day one other thing I, I saw there was with um, Bernal coming into this was he was suffering and if that road had pitched um, kept going pitching just a little bit more instead of a flat spot near the end there you would have probably seen him getting distance and actually a little bit of time gap just not being able to close down like you would expect him to um, well like you would expect him to in general so um, just uh, maybe he's, he's riding a little bit like he was in the Dauphiné uh, just not being able to, to kind of have the, the kick near the line but it was very impressive to see who did have that. So let's talk about a little few things here. Uh, time bonuses, 10, 6, and 4. He's Julian Alaphilippe still stays in the win, in the, in the lead. Ruglich with an amazing win. Um, really impressive to look. Pogacar, those two kicking it near the end were very good. I think Lopez, we'll go to the overall here in a second. Lopez, I think, and um, Martin being able to throw the bike to close down uh, Julian Alaphilippe, but he's still be able to stay. Um, like I said, Bernal suffered a bit. Tish Benut got a crash. Jumbo looked really exceptional being able to stay there. Um, Carapaz, he lost 28 seconds. He was no help to Bernal. Matter of fact, when that team, um, when Wout pulled off and Ineos tried to come to the front, it looked uh, not very good. Ineos didn't, uh, Kwiatkowski pulled, Carapaz was having trouble. Bernal didn't, his team was not able to do what they normally done, just go in and set the pace. Instead, you saw the American phenom, I'm calling him that now, Sepp Kuss, uh, drilling it over the top and just being really in control. Uh, Iran of EF, he was able to finish in the front group. You've also saw Hugh Carthy, who was 15 seconds back. Martinez and Higuita, I think Higuita suffered a little bit, but uh, Martinez, uh, be able to, to come back from the day uh, stage three suffering, uh, stage two, I'm sorry, where he crashed and wasn't able to hold on in the finished climb. Uh, good for him to see that happen. Palace was up there. He would, had lost four minutes, but he had been uh, kind of up in the front when the, the stage uh, climbing had started on the finest finish. Adam Yates, Chavez, both got same times. They had some help by Nieve, so they're looking good. And then Peter Sagan, are you finished? Is he is he still a, a rider that we need to worry about? Um, like I said, he's going to win the green jersey, but he's not going to um, win a stage. That's my prediction here. Um, back to uh, Mitchelton. Um, they, Nieve was a lot of help. They didn't look like that was a thing going for stage wins unless it just doesn't work out for him. Uh, but with Adam Yates and Chavez both being able to stay up there top, uh, little shades back to, what, 2016, 2017, when those guys were, were flying high and doing well. So um, stage, we'll talk about the upcoming stage here, but I just wanted to see some things so far. Um, some riders that have been fine. This is an interesting thing that Cycling Weekly is covering. Uh, they're doing the fines of the, uh, <laughs> the tour. And uh, we'll kind of keep these updated. Uh, stage one, no fines. 
Uh, stage two, Simon uh, Geschke, uh, sheltering behind a vehicle or following a vehicle's wake, find 200 Swiss francs, dock 20 seconds in the GC and six points in the points classification and two in the mountains classification. It's kind of harsh. Uh, Roberto Damiani, Cofidis, sports director, sheltering behind a vehicle. See, that's the kind of stuff. Waste, but here's the uh, team UAE, uh, not rider, uh, not identified, waste disposal outside of waste areas. That's all we have so far, which goes into, they're doing a whole thing with the protocol uh, with COVID uh, sections where they're supposed to be dumping their trash, you know, their bottles, so there's not just out in the middle, middle of everywhere, trying to do a little more control on that. And what they're also doing with that is they're not stating where those are for, to the public because they don't really want them to know, I guess, uh, biohazard waste, such as it is. Um, and instead they are putting them on the race book so that at least the writers and the staff do know about that. Um, the Tudor France protocol. So we'll just talk about that real quick. Um, there, it had gone back and forth, and I think the, the realization is now that the, the French government had said, I don't care what we're doing um, as far as uh, you guys want to do something, you know, two riders or two staff members, because remember, it's going to be two people uh, within your bubble, which is your riders and staff, they test positive, we're kicking the whole team out of the tour. Teams pushed back on that, then the uh, tour, the ASO said, okay, two riders in, in the, the rider team, not including staff. And then the French government came back and said, of course, according to Andy Hood of Avella News, that nope, um, we're dictating what it is and you've got to do, it's two of staff or riders um, combined and you will be uh, legitimately kicked out. Now, let's say you've got a Frenchman in the lead, right? I guess they're gonna do a whole slew of testing on rest day stage nine or in between there. So you're gonna have a bunch of tests coming out. And they said, hey, we're, we're actually pretty more confident about the, the positives. Um, if that, th there's some worry that uh, if there's a ton of positive teams are getting, they're just gonna shut the race down. And if they're doing that, you're gonna have whoever is in the lead at the time is going to get the Tour de France win. So with that in mind, up until stage you know nine or whatever, um, let's say there's a test positive and Julian Alaphilippe's team. Do you think they're going to kick them out? No, they're not going. They're going to make changes to see what they can do, um, <clears throat> whether it's backdating something, whatever they're going to do. They're going to try to keep them in. Uh, however, if you have a situation where Julian Alaphilippe is in the lead and everyone is getting shut down enough where they're, they're going to just say the tour is over, um, is it more likely that the ASO would say, yeah, we're good with that, and you give uh, Julian Alaphilippe the, uh, the Tour de France win? Sure, it's an asterisk. But you finally get to say, I'm no longer, you know, the last winner was in 1985 with uh, Bernardi. No. So I don't know how I'm feeling about this. I think early on we want Julian in the lead just in case there's something. But once we start getting deeper in there, we don't want the Frenchman in there because we don't want, we want, we want someone that the French would dislike to be in the lead for as long as possible, just simply so that they won't cancel the tour and give that guy um, a win. That's, that's my, that's my way of, of being able to, to protect against that. Okay, what do we have else? Oh, just wanted to say, Worlds are going to announce, I guess, this week whether uh, where the Worlds champion, world champions are going to be. They said they found a place, and um, it's I don't know where it's going to be, but uh, they found some place. So good for that, and we'll be able to have World Championships uh, take off. Kurt, Chris, maybe maybe that means China. Maybe that's uh, okay. Upcoming stages. Look, evidently the video that I play here with, with Scriven talking about the stage did not uh, pull through on the video. Uh, the feed going to YouTube, so I won't play the next one because it's got that. But uh, Gap to Privas, uh, Sprinter stage, that's coming up on Wednesday. Um, then Thursday we have Latille to Mont Agro. 
191 kilometers, mountaintop finish, but not extreme. That one's flat as can be until the last climb. And I think it's a three or a one to a three type uh, category climb, a little pitch up there. Uh, move out to Lavar on Friday, 168 kilometers. Then you got Saturday, Sunday, and uh, then a rest day on Monday. Who gets the ride of the week? Um, I just want to say, well, first of all, Wout Banner, you can give him the ride of the week all the time. The guy's been, I, you know, it's great to see, like I said, Sepp Kuss, he could probably have won the stage today or at least given it a good shot at the bottom, but he's the ultimate team player and he knows what he's there for. Wout Banner can probably be winning the green jersey right now, uh, but he is the ultimate team player doing the climbing that you would expect uh, Kwiatkowski or some of these other guys to do, kind of showing them who is boss. So ultimate team players coming to the ground, coming to the the, the team, the tour, and doing everything they can for Primos. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty, looking pretty good. We'll see, though, if Tom Dumoulin falls into line. I know he still has hopes, but um, he's not doing anything on the front. He's flicking people through in the last few bits there, you know, lose a little bit of time. And... And in the end, you're going to maybe not see him um, quite as a, a glorious situation. So let's look at the overall and the what we have for the race today. Primoz Roglic, Taj Podegar, second place. Guillaume Martin, Nairo Quintana. Nairo is the other one who uh, threw bike throw to get uh, Alaphilippe. Alaphilippe in fifth, Lopez in sixth, Bernal, Pinot, Landa, Yates, Dumoulin, Dumoulin, um, got the same time, so he was able to pull that, claw that back. Chavez, Molema, Richie Port, Uran, Bardet, Bardet was the last one of them, and then Manuel Buckman, Enric Mas, Sapkas, just rolling in nine seconds back, Hugh Carthy, Valverde, Nicholas Roach. Um, so look, you can see Nicholas Roach up there. Um, dude can climb, but he's not the climbing uh, that you would expect of everyone else. So it's it wasn't the toughest day. In the GC, we have Alaphilippe, Adam Yates, four seconds, Primus Roglic, seven seconds, Pogacard, 11, Guillaume Martin at 13, Egan Bernal at 17, Dumoulin, and the rest down there. Look, what a what a smattering uh, you've already got here. Some interesting guys here. It'd be interesting to see if Martin can get um, a chance at the yellow jersey. Um, Chavez, Quintana... Bernal, I was going to see if there was any EF rider. So he's, uh, Uran's at 15th place. Um, so not the, not the closest. So who do you, who do you think is going to be the leader coming out of the rest day? I, I tend to think, um, Alaphilippe has the team to be able to do that. And I think he's going to be able to hold that in. I also think you're going to see Caleb with two wins going into the rest day. Um, who's going to win at the top on the next one? I, I think you're going to see Alaphilippe on that last, the next mountain stage. He's going to see what he can do. I don't know if you're going to get it from him, but maybe a, maybe a Yates or maybe a Roglic again. Uh, it'd be interesting. Okay, so rider of the week, though. I prefaced this and said who's going to be the rider of the week. I actually think he, I want to give it to Cole Davis. Uh, I don't know if you, anybody saw Mike Sayers' post in South, so I went and watched it. It was the, the baby Giro or the U23 Giro that he's doing. Uh, stage two. There's a breakaway. It's a little, it's a, it's not a mountain days. It's just like rolling. Almost kind of looks like uh, on the British landscape or something. Um, group of like three or four get up the road. They have this little kicker about four or five K to the finish. Uh, guy goes up to the group. Um, Cole Davis ends up uh, bridging up to it as well. He gets in the break and then they're going. And then another guy takes off. Cole Davis is chasing him. He's so close. That guy ends up holding on for the win and Cole gets caught about 300 meters or so from the finish, but it's pretty exciting to see him uh, doing that. So if you're gonna check it out, 
the U23 Giro do so. It's uh, you can find it on Tiz Cycling. That's uh, that's where I've been able to to to, to get it and uh, to watch it. And it's I'm not sure what the whole name is, but it's something Giro. And it's a it's a race that uh, our own Cole Davis. So we've got a few guys out there in Europe. We've got Nielsen Palace, obviously doing well, uh, riding Tour de France, getting his name out there. We've got Cole Davis, another fulsome gentleman, in Northern California, uh, out there at the in the U23 Giro. And it's been really cool to see all those guys uh, throw it down. So with that said, thanks everybody. Episode 191. I'm glad you joined us for a little bit. We'll try to get the audio fixed for the next time. And um, check our show out. Why don't you share it? We're going to be doing some little things. Look for us on uh, social media, throwing out the uh, stage previews, stage recaps, just kind of uh, little clips here and there. Um, but anyway, everyone, thank you for joining in to the Between Two Wheels podcast. This is Tyler Yonke. As always, stay safe and enjoy the tour. <laughs>